might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back into our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now here is the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome everybody. All right, today we're going to do a show on depersonalization and disassociation. And this is basically an escape from yourself. And, you know, with depersonalization, the person usually has persistent or recurrent experiences of feeling uh, detached from their surrounding, uh, from their mental processes, or their body. So they feel like they're in a dream or as if if they're looking at themselves outside of themselves, which is kind of strange. But in the case of depersonalization, um, the individual usually may feel detached from their entire being, as if they're like no one or I have no self. And they may also feel, you know, subjectively detached from aspects of themselves, including their feelings. Uh, You know, like a person would often say, I know I have feelings, but I don't feel them. And they, they also feel detached from their thoughts. Like my thoughts don't feel like my own or my head's filled with cotton or the whole body or body parts or sensations like touch or, or, or hunger or thirst or libido are just not there. They're also diminished a sense of, 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 of being very uh, energetic or alive. So they, ba- they basically feel robotic or like automation or lack control of their speech or their movements. And so these episodes are characterized by a feeling of of basically unreality or detachment or unfamiliar with the world uh, or individuals or inanimate objects or or even all surroundings. So the individual in this state may feel as if they were in a fog or a dream or a bubble or as if there's there's a veil or a glass wall between them and the world around them. And so surroundings may be experienced as artificial, colorless, lifeless, and depersonal derealization is is also commonly accompanied by subjective visual distortions like blurriness or heightened uh, uh, acuity or widened uh, visual field or two dimensionality or flatness or, or even exaggerated three dimensionality or altered distance or size of objects. And so, you know, this kind of derealization and depersonalization experiences can be very, very scary uh, for a person because uh, they feel completely out of touch with their own life and they don't know where it's going to lead. And, you know, even depersonalization causes uh, significant uh, distress or impairment in social, in their occupational, and other areas of functioning. And also that depersonalization experience does not occur exclusively during the course of another mental disorder, which is very important when you're trying to diagnose this like schizophrenia or panic disorder, acute uh, stress disorder, or any other dissociative disorder. It's not due to the direct uh, physiological aspects of a substance, so it can't be that. And it's not a general medical condition that it's a response to. So for depersonalization and and, uh, to be diagnosed, it's very important to understand that it can't be a part of any of those other issues. You know, if you feel disconnected from your body or numb to the feeling of anything, that that's that depersonalization. And actually, the National Alliance of Mental Illness estimates that nearly 50% 
of all adults in the United States experience depersonalization at least once in their lives as either an isolated episode or a full-blown disorder. And so depersonalization basically and the feelings of unreality is misunderstood. And it's often misdiagnosed mental illness and condition. But in order for anyone to understand depersonalization, you need to understand disassociation. And I'm throwing a lot of terms at you today, but it all comes around a very common theme with different flavors of how these disorders come about. Like disassociation is thought of as uh, basically like disruptions in a whole lot of elements of consciousness and, and of identity and of memory physical actions, or even the environment. And so it's a disconnect or an absence of a connection between things that are normally associated with each other. So it's basically a disconnect between an experience and your sense of self. And when you feel this emotional numbness, that detached can be alarming and it can be very uh, pervasive and very scary. And sometimes depersonalization is a symptom of another disorder, such as anxiety, depression, uh, 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 post-traumatic stress disorder, a panic disorder, acute anxiety. And I'm throwing all these terms out at you, but it's important to understand, oftentimes traumatic events of some kind lead to that sense of disassociation or depersonalization, basically based on how your brain is constructed. Now, you got to know the signs. If, if you have depersonalization, usually you feel like a completely separate entity from your body. And so this is one in one flavor of depersonalization. Your body feels like a stranger. Your head may feel like it's been wrapped in cotton. Your body feels hollow and lifeless. And some people lose their sense of touch. Some people lose their sense of taste, smell, and they may even feel the need to pinch or poke or hit themselves just to know whether they are normal or even alive. Now, there's another flavor where you don't feel any connection to the person you see in a mirror. You feel a sense of profound detachment. So when you see your reflection, you try to avoid it. And in fact, you avoid other things in addition to mirrors, like leaving the house or being with people. Another uh, uh, aspect of depersonalization is you experience a, a sense of detachment from your environment. And oftentimes, depersonalization is accompanied by derealization. And you not only feel disconnected from the world, but you're also unfamiliar with it. And that's scary. Individuals, inanimate objects, and all of our surroundings all of a sudden become unfamiliar. And derealization often involves subjective visual distortions like fuzziness or heightened sensitivity, uh, s smaller or larger visual field, um, this flatness, the exaggerated 3D visions, altered size of objects, as we talked about earlier. But it, it's really important to understand that we're not talking about an aging process here. What we're talking about are diagnoses of disorders that people commonly get throughout the course of their life. You know, these we talked about earlier, the personalization, they feel like a robot. So, you know, some people sometimes feel like they're an observer of their own body and their own mental process. And so their voice may sound unfamiliar. Their thoughts, the way they speak, the things they do no longer feel spontaneous. Instead, they feel as if they're just going through the motions. And that uh, in itself can be extremely anxiety and panic driven. 
You know, if you think your memories belong to someone else, you, you may struggle with attention and memory and have trouble remembering everyday things. And, and this is another flavor of depersonalization where you have trouble taking in new information, experience thoughts that are accelerated or confused. And your memories may lack an emotional core. And so you may feel as if they're far away. And lastly, you know there's something wrong. You aren't delusional. You know that something isn't right with you and the way you view the world. So the best treatment is talk therapy. And since there are no medications specifically designed for these depersonalization, disassociation, through certain medications that are designed to treat depression and anxiety like Prozac, Clonopin, uh, Anafranil, you know, they may help. They may help because there may be some depression or anxiety related. But, uh, you know, going through all this stuff can be very, very stressful for someone, especially if they're raising children, if they're married, if they have commitments, they have a job, they have responsibilities. Imagine being a school teacher and feeling like this. Imagine being a cop and feeling like this. Imagine being a lawyer standing in court and dealing with this. You know, these kind of things can be enormously uh, uh, taken over your whole life. And, and if it's this pervasive, you really do need to seek treatment. You know, they can last for hours. They can last for days. They can reoccur for weeks, months, even years. At all times, the person experiencing this is typically aware of both their inner thoughts and what's going on around them. And as a result, they are conscious of the fact that they feel detached from their body or their surroundings. And it's common for people with depersonalization, derealization to fear that they don't really exist and that their symptoms are a result of an irreversible brain damage. Now, the causes, there's a history of severe stress usually or neglect or, or physical or emotional abuse uh, that can lead to depersonalization, derealization. There's also that there can be acute moments of stress or anxiety or trauma. Acute meaning just just happens right right now. And, and they that may also trigger this. Especially if somebody doesn't have a history of it, it may all of a sudden appear after an acute stressful event. And a lot of studies have shown that poor sleep quality is associated with more severe symptoms. And and depersonalization and derealization also occurs at, at equal frequency in both men and women. So to treat it. Um, since they often occur with and be can triggered by mental health problems such as anxiety or depression, treatment can be very difficult. And for treatment to be successful, the basically the therapist, therapist has to develop an individual plan and ultimately address all symptoms in the condition and also uh, keep a close eye on whether the patient experiences any suicidal thoughts or impulses. And you know, various therapies can be helpful from those who suffer from it, uh, but using cognitive thought-based and behavioral techniques, grounding exercises, uh, uh, some psychodynamic going into people's background into their childhood, in addition to, um, you know, an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety, these often help lead to a better conclusion. The whole idea is to help the person feel grounded. And so, you know, it's it's so uh, scary. It's so unpleasant. You know, someone who personally struggles with depersonalization for years, uh, it, it can feel as if you're looking at the world from a third person perspective, like you're inside a movie. 
You know, I think and I imagine in this year of COVID, I bet there are a lot of people that feel this sense of depersonalization or disassociation. I'm sure they've experienced it before, but it's triggering in them probably currently because in this life, so much of our life has just completely either shut down or slowed down. And we continue to be traumatized by the decisions that our government, uh, state governments make regarding COVID and all the limitations that they put in front of us. And so much distorted information, and yet our life on a daily basis Things change that directly affect how we operate. You know, for people with uh, depersonalization, you're, you're probably not going to suddenly wake up and find yourself cured overnight. However, you can recover. It takes time and effort and most importantly, changes to your understanding of depersonalization into your life. And so to make it simple, there is, there's basic blueprints to recovery. So you have to first understand how it works. Often we feel depersonalized, we, we think we're in danger, uh, it's scary, it's, it, but it's not a threat to your life. And you have to understand that. It's not a threat to your life. It may actually be your body's way of trying to protect you from, uh, from something which may be a threat to your life. You know, uh, the exact cause of depersonalization really isn't known. But there's a lot of explanations that relate to an atypical function of the body's nervous system, which regulates things like your heart rate, your hunger, your blood flow. And so high stress situations activate the the body's sympathetic nervous system. And as a part, uh, it keeps us alert and active. And and so this is basically your fight or flight uh, reptilian reaction to feeling threatened. And so in evolutionary terms, you see a predator in your path, your, your, your uh, sympathetic nervous system reacts, it increases your heart rate, pumps more blood, provides you the energy you need to fight the threat and run away from it. And so, you know, for people with depersonalization, extreme stress may not lead to a fight or flight. Instead, and that's what's scary about this one, instead, this heightened arousal can lead to disassociation. Or a disruption in brain functioning. And that's exactly why they go into a panic because they don't feel like they're able to respond to danger. And so in order to be emotionally distant yourself from a perceived life-threatening situation, your mind shuts down to protect itself from being overwhelmed. However, if you're in the state, you often feel disconnected from your environment and the people around us. And so these experiences can be extremely unpleasant and are, are ultimately in, in the end, you have to remind yourself it's not a threat to your life. So your body-mind system is just doing what it's designed to do. It's trying to ensure your, your survival and what it's perceiving as danger. And when, when we don't understand the mechanisms behind depersonalization, we might try to fight it. But here's the problem. If you fight it, it may actually sustain it and make it worse. And so you remain in a, in a state of stress if you fight it, which can bring about more depersonalization as your mind continues to try to protect itself. Now you're stuck in a loop of stress, depersonalization, more stress, more depersonalization. And, and you may think that if you don't fight the symptoms, they will take complete hold of you and you'll never have your life back. But that's not how it works. Acceptance is huge. Make peace with it. That it's just something your brain is doing to, once again, feel like it's protecting itself. 
But the, the, to heal, you want to try to lead a balanced life. We should aim to lead a balanced life in order to reduce our stress as much as possible. And, and you know what? A balanced life consists of being active, uh, of getting enough rest, of eating healthy, following a routine. You know, do not stay in your room all day because you're feeling depersonalized. To feel normal, do normal things. And the process may slow down. And you may have setbacks, but you may... Uh, resensitize yourself over time if you continue to try to do your healthy routines, your healthy relationships, and keep yourself in life and keep yourself thinking. You know, don't let it run your life. Now, we're going to talk about disassociative uh, disorder, and these disorders are very complicated because they involve memory, they involve identity, they involve emotion, perception, behavior, how you see yourself. And these disassociative symptoms can potentially disrupt every area of your mental functioning. For example, that detachment of feeling as one of being outside your body or a loss of memory or amnesia, these disorders are frequently associated with previous experiences, once again, of trauma. And so there's three types of disassociative disorders. There's the disassociative identity disorder, dissociative amnesia, and depersonalization, personalization, realization disorder. We're going to come back. We're going to talk more about disassociation and how it is different from depersonalization. Come back. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Listen for Transformation for Success with Dr. Barbara Young. Her show topics cover creating lasting transformation in challenging environments and how creating change can have an impact on the success of individuals from a mind, body, and spirit perspective. It's going to be inspiring and uplifting each week. So tune in on Tuesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and also listen on the Voice America Business and Influencers Channels. Transformation takes one step at a time. It's time. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. 
Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about depersonalization, which we just kind of covered that. And now we're going to be talking about disassociation. And, and this is basically a disconnect between your thoughts, your memories, your feelings, your actions, your sense of who you are or who you were. <laughs> this is, it's basically a normal process that, that most all of us have experienced, like examples of a mild or common disassociation between like daydreaming or highway hypnosis, getting lost in a book or a movie, you know, all, all of that involves losing touch with your awareness of your immediate surroundings. And so during uh, a traumatic experience, such as an accident, a disaster, a crime victimization, this, this kind of like disassociation can really help a person tolerate what otherwise may be too difficult to tolerate. In situations like these, a person may disassociate the memory of the place or the circumstances or the feelings about the this overwhelming event and mentally escape from the fear, the pain, and the horror. And this may make it difficult to later even come back to those memories and the details of the experience as uh, maybe by a, some disaster and, and people that have had disasters or people that have been accident survivors often or, or actually been raped or, or, or molested when, uh, you know, at some point in their life, these, these people often report that they don't remember a lot of this activity, a lot of the, what happens, if any of it. And also, you know, there's this thing called a disassociative identity disorder. And basically, this is associated with overwhelming experiences like traumatic events, abuse, severe abuse that occurred in childhood. And basically, this disassociative identity disorder is previously referred to as multiple personality disorder. And so, you know, there's a lot of symptoms that involve this. Uh, usually, there's the existence of two or more distinct identities, their personality states. There's the distinct identities are accompanied by changes in behavior, memory, thinking. And so the signs and symptoms may be observed by other people or reported by the person themselves. And there's usually ongoing gaps in memory about everyday events, personal information, uh, or past traumatic events, because each uh, individual identity has its own storage of memory. And so symptoms may cause significant distress or problems in social, occupational, other areas of functioning. And in addition, the disturbance can't be a part of a normal, uh, broadly accepted cultural religious practice. And so that's, you know, around there in the world, that does happen. So the attitude and the personal preferences, for example, about food, activities, clothes of a person with dissociative identity may suddenly shift and then shift back. And so the identities happen involuntarily and are unwanted and they cause a lot of distress. So pe people with disassociative identity disorder may feel that they have suddenly become observers of their own speech and action or their bodies may feel different or they may feel like a child or like the opposite gender or huge and muscular. You know, it's just amazing. I uh, have treated uh, uh, people with disassociative identity disorder and, you know, it's, it's just sad. But these people are usually enormously abused in their childhood to the point of not even being a human being. And the only way they can escape is to create alternate personalities to cope with their life because the one that they're living is unacceptable to either their parents or some people in their life. 
and they feel as if they're within, you know, two or more entities and each with their own way of thinking and remembering themselves and carrying themselves. And it's important to keep in mind that although these alternative states may feel and appear to be very different, they're all manifestations of one whole person. Other names used to describe these alternate states, including alternate personalities, alters, states of consciousness, identities, these are terms that they often use. And so for people with dissociative identity, the extent of problems functioning can vary uh, very widely from minimal to significant problems. And people that carry these identities on into late life, these identities become very entrenched in who they are. Sometimes they even admire these parts of themselves so much that they have a, a relationship with them. I've known people to have up to 67 different personalities to this point in my career, and I'm sure there's people with many, many more. You know, there's, there's a lot of risk, though. There's a lot of risk in this one. People who experience physical and sexual abuse in childhood are an increased risk of disassociative identity disorder. And the vast majority of people who develop disso uh, dissociative disorders have experienced repetitive, overwhelming trauma in their childhood. And among people with the dissociative identity disorder just in the United States, Canada, and Europe, about 90% are victims of childhood abuse and neglect. Suicide attempts and other self-injurious behavior is common with people with disassociative identity. More than 70% of outpatients with dissociative identity have attempted suicide. So with, you know, it, it takes an expert, it takes a lot of work to work with people like this. You know, people need appropriate treatment and that means that people that are experts, and I have to tell you, I am not an expert in this area. I have worked this area, but I made sure that my clients knew that this is not my expertise. Um, and, and did everything I could, and I, I, quite frankly, I succeeded and failed. Uh, and, and, but when you deal with a personality disorder, it is a personality disorder. It, it, it's not easily, it's not going to be medicated, or if it is, it's going to be something uh, antipsychotic. And then the other thing about it is you've got to get to know all these different personalities and what triggers them. Stress is a big ingredient of what triggers these personalities. Internal stress, internal thought processes, all of a sudden you may feel that you're unsafe and now you take on a personality that's muscular and manly or womanly, whatever you want to call it, that where you feel safer. And, it's, and so that, uh, you have to understand, is a coping skill. And it's still the same person. It's one person. And you've got to ground them back to who they are as that one person and how they perceive stress and how they perceive danger. You know, with, with good treatment, typically with psychotherapy, which goes back into childhood because that's where this all starts, the therapy can help gain control over the process and the symptoms. And basically the goal is to trim it down and to diminish it as much as possible. You know, uh, these the goal of therapy is basically to integrate the different elements of the identity, the different personalities. And therapy may be intense and difficult as it involves remembering and coping with past traumatic events that may have been pushed away by these personalities. Cognitive therapy, Dialectical behavioral therapy, these are used also. Hypnosis has been found to be helpful, but there's major trust issues with disassociative identity disorder. So the relationship 
with a therapist has to be awesome. You know, once again, there's no medications. You know, there may be some antidepressants that are helpful, anti-anxiety, antipsychotic. But a lot of people experience disassociation at some point in their lives. I'm not, now I'm getting away from disassociative identity. I'm getting back into disassociation period. So there's lots of different things that can cause you to do this. For example, you, you may disassociate when you're very stressed or after something traumatic has happened. You might also have symptoms of disassociation as a part of another mental illness like anxiety or panic attacks. And for many people, you have to understand the feelings pass over time. So if you disassociate, you probably feel like you're not connected. So some of the symptoms that we follow is amnesia. And this means memory loss. You might lose your memories of things that have happened to you. Or depersonalization. Or feeling disconnected from your body. Or derealization, feeling disconnected from the world. Or identity confusion, like you have no sense of who you are. Even identity alteration. This means your identity may have changed. You might remember uh, your old identity, or, or you may not remember it, or you may. And also this sense of loss of feelings, very common. Also losing control of your body movements. You might have these symptoms for as long as the, uh, as the event that triggered them, or for a short time afterwards, and this is called an episode. You know, and for some people, the symptoms last a lot longer. So if you have a dissociative disorder, you might experience these symptoms for long episodes because your brain is familiar with this coping skill. And, and um, you know, the different types of disorder, there's, uh, there's, there's a whole lot of information about it, but it's important to remember that you could have symptoms of disassociation without a disassociative disorder. There's also, so when we talk about a disassociative disorder, it's really important to understand that it has to be pervasive, so pervasive that it is operating in your life uh, more than you would like it to. It's taking over a bit of who you are. You know, if you have disassociative amnesia, you, you might not remember things that have happened to you. And this can be very stressful. And this may relate to a traumatic event or stress, but it doesn't have to. You know, you may have trouble remembering who you are with amnesia or what happened to you or how you felt at the time. You know, this is not the same as simply forgetting something. It's a memory lapse. This means you cannot access the memory at that time, but it's not permanently lost. And you have to reassure yourself of that. And, and with disassociative amnesia, you, you, you probably feel engaged with other people, uh, such as holding conversations. You might also still remember other things. You may even live a normal life. But you may also have flashbacks and unpleasant thoughts or nightmares about things you struggle to remember. And so it's like, I need to get that information, but I can't. And that can be so frustrating. You know, you may have a disassociative amnesia with a, a disassociative fugue, which is where someone with disassociative amnesia actually travels or wanders off somewhere else. And it's related to things they can't remember. So you may or not may not have traveled on purpose. You know, this, this, uh, going back to this uh, uh, um, uh, multiple personalities, dissociative identity disorder, you know, there's a lot of research on it. You know, these, these identities, researchers think that these are actually different parts of one identity which are not working together properly. And so say they suggest that that dissociative identity disorder is caused by experiencing severe trauma as we talked about in childhood. 
But experiencing trauma in childhood, you take on different identities and behaviors to protect yourself. And as you grow up with these behaviors, they become fully formed until it looks like you have different identities. And and, and different uh, parts of your identity don't work together properly. And, And so with that, you might regularly have symptoms of disassociation, but not fit into any of the types that we've been talking about. You know, this this disorder is usually very acute. That means your episode is short but severe. It means that new personality, that other personality comes in, takes over, and basically you're occupied by that until you start to feel safe. And now let's go back to depersonalization and derealization. And I'm jumping all over the place because it's <laughs> there's just a lot of information on this. But, but um you know, there's other conditions that may cause that. You know, uh, uh, some people have what are called paranoid delusions. And sometimes uh, people have frontal lobe epilepsy or migraines. And that can be something that can cause depersonalization and derealization. Also, a stroke can cause that. So, it never hurts to go see a medical doctor to see if there is a medical condition that's correlated with what's going on. You know, um, But if it's just a dissociative disorder, that is the primary disorder. You know, uh, uh, you you might have uh, feelings constantly rather than episodes. And that that may be because it's something that your brain has just become very familiar with. But I would suggest if disassociative or depersonalization stays with you, it would be a very important thing to see if there is a, a medical reason for that and to go see a doctor first before you allow yourself to move into the disorders because the brain can cause a lot of crazy things to happen but there's different things that can do this number one we've talked about it before uh, difficult problems that cause stress if you have a relationship that is enormously stressful that can do it if you have uh, traumatic events in your life that can do it you know uh, uh, there are also uh, some people say that cannabis can play uh, uh, be a cause of depersonalization and derealization. And, and, you know, disassociation can be treated in a, in a lot of ways, um, but there's really not a lot of medications. So we just have to look, once again, for antidepressants and uh, other things. So let's take a break here. We're going to come, oh, not take a break, sorry. We're going to come back in here and talk a little bit more about uh, what if you're happy with your treatment as far as depersonalization and realization. Well, if you're not happy with your treatment, you know, and somebody's suggesting you've got one of these disorders or episodes, you know, you might want to seek a second opinion. You know, contact somebody that may have another opinion that could help you. You know, if you're not happy with your, your, you know, speak to your doctor. If they do not offer you any treatment options, you can ask for another second opinion there. But you know, you can go on the internet and on Google and advocate and go explore depersonalization and disassociation because if you do that, you're going to gather a lot of information and you're also going to find chat rooms where people who have experienced these things have, can acknowledge what you're going through and also assist you by their experiences. You know, you're not in this life alone and depersonalization, derealization, uh, uh, disassociation, all of these things are very common to every single human being out there, you know, so it's important for you to take it seriously 
but also, you know, not deceive yourself to think that there's not a medical issue involved. Now, there's this other thing called other specified dissociative disorder. And this is more like your regular person. This is where you disassociate, and you've done that for a long time, but you might disassociate in separate or regular episodes or between the episodes. You might not notice any changes. Um, you know, you may have, you may feel like you're being, uh, you're involved in coercion. And if you're being involved in co- coercion where someone is forcing or trying to persuade you, like if you were being brainwashed or imprisoned for a long time, your disassociation may come about from that because you're trying to escape what they're doing to you. So you basically block them out of your brain by disassociating from yourself to protect yourself. And there are a lot of people who will try to convince you of their truth. They will try to force you to believe their truth. There's a lot of people in this world that feel like they're right and nobody else is right. And they want to sell you on their being right. And if you have depersonalization or derealization, you may have experienced a lot of this. If you've had manipulative people in your life treat you badly, it's oftentimes this is the way the brain may cope with that if they're very familiar with it. All right, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk more about the psychology involved in this and how it all breaks down. So come back. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Do you wish you could avoid having difficult conversations with your kids about sex, relationships, and how to stay safe? Do you struggle with what and how much to say? You're not alone. Tune into Holistic Sex Ed Radio with host Robin LaCrosse for a fresh new perspective on sex education that goes beyond the birds and the bees. We gather together every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for conversations designed to improve your relationships, expand your knowledge, and give you the tools to help your kids make the most out of their lives. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. 
Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about depersonalization, disassociation, derealization, all these crazy disorders. Um, you know, dissociative disorders are very challenging uh, for many people um, because it's frustrating. It's like your brain is sputtering. It's not working the way you want it to. And there's a lot of memory that gets lost or a lot of feeling that gets lost. And there's something interesting in psychology, and, and I do this, it's called eye movement desensitization reprocessing, EMDR. And, and you know, dissociative identities especially may be helped by uh, eye movement desensitization reprocessing. Because basically, you, you make these side-to-side side, side side movements that the eyeball starts to think that it's in the, uh, the, the REM stage of sleep. And uh, so basically, the brain is triggered to think that, that it's dreaming, even though it's not dreaming. You're wide awake and you're sitting right there. It's not in hypnosis either. But basically, by reprocessing old memories, many times people are able to grab onto memories that they have lost due to the fact that they're going, they're using the eye movement uh, uh, reprocessing. Um, and this is interesting because what it basically do is, does is it allows the, the, uh, the, the brain to grab traumatic events and basically move them uh, from the limbic system of the brain and drop them into the memory glands, where, which are on both sides of your, your brain in the back. And so basically, it, it moves the furniture in your brain in a sense that we don't have as many triggers because all of a sudden the event that you had, the traumatic event from whenever, especially in childhood, if there was that traumatic event, what it basically does is it puts a window between the event by moving it to the memory glands so you're no longer feeling what happened but you see what happened. And so it no longer has the triggers that you once had uh, while you allowed this to live in your limbic system. Because the limbic system is sitting on top of your brainstem and it basically is there to tell your brain, uh, this is a memory you need to have. You're gonna be eaten by a woolly mammoth it's, or, or, or a saber-toothed tiger. And if you remember that event and what it sounded like, what it smelled like, basically the brain is recording all that information so that if it ever happens again, you'll respond accordingly. And so that's just an evolutionary aspect of our brain of how it's wired. But you can also unwire that. And the EMDR is a very effective tool at doing that for many people in many different conditions. It's used primarily to, to deal with people with post-traumatic stress disorder and acute anxiety. But it also works really, really, really well with people that have desensitization or, or disassociation or depersonalization, it can even help if there were traumatic triggers to that. But, you know, cognitive therapy, cognitive behavioral is also, that's the talk therapy. That's also can be a very good way to go about it because some people don't like that eye movement stuff. It feels like you're being controlled or manipulated or hypnotized. And so they don't want to give that much control 
they feel like they've already lost control and they don't want to lose it any further and they don't want to be manipulated. And so cognitive therapy brings it out through you. And so that means that the therapist is helping you talk through what's happened to you to where your brain may grab on to more of those memories and actually reground them into something more realistic than what the brain has constructed. And so, you know, you might not even think the symptoms of disassociation are serious, but if it's frustrating you and if it's getting in your way and if it's affecting the way you communicate with people, the the memories that you've had with people and they're saying, you don't remember? You don't remember that? I can't believe you don't. You know, that means there's something going on in your brain that needs a little bit of remapping. And so uh, the way talk therapies work is they attempt to help you inside your own brain Inside your own thought process, uh, reconfigure your thinking, and also tone down your sense of traumatic uh, uh, triggers. And so there's a a lot of guidelines that are out there uh, uh, to help us in, in the treatment as far as therapists are concerned to understand what tools we can use and where we can refer to assist people with any kind of dissociative, depersonalization, disassociation. You know, but it's really important to understand if you're going to make any headway to get this stuff treated, you are going to have to realize that you have to have, number one, a good relationship with the therapist. And if you don't, you have to understand that's going to affect the way you're being treated. And so if that relationship is not there, that sense of trust, that sense of humanity, that sense of, of empathy and understanding, if you're not connected in that way with the therapist, with these particular disorders, very rarely do we get good outcomes from it. So that is important if you're searching for a therapist or a treatment modality that you need to go, first off, is this somebody that I can respect or like or feel relaxed around or feel like I can be myself? That's a huge thing in treating these type of disorders. You know, self-deception is what some people would call disassociation or depersonalization or derealization. You know, uh, uh, any kind of form of disassociation is an isolation and it involves the disassociation of thoughts and feelings. And with the feelings, the, the affect is then removed from the conscious attention to leave only to just thoughts. So that means we're not connected emotionally to our thinking. And you need your emotions for your thinking because your emotions are what motivate good thoughts. If you don't put emotion behind a good thought, you're not going to often uh, go through with the thought. That's why people that are, dep- that are depressed often procrastinate because they may have a good thought, but they're looking for an emotion to get behind it And, you know, it could be anger, it could be frustration, it could be any emotion, it could be happiness, it could be uh, wanting to help someone else, it it could be all kinds of motivators, but you have to have those there for thoughts to do any good. And you are what you think. And so, once again, emotions are meant to motivate thought. So we need to use, and that's called emotional intelligence, when we learn to use the emotions that work for us and help us and are constructive in our life and motivate us to go through with our thinking. And people that are wise respect thinking, but they also have passion for learning. 
And so it's important to, to understand how that can affect us. But if you have isolation from your emotions, that's scary because not much is going to get done and not much that you're going to remember is going to be done. And let's say you're, you're eating your favorite food or let's say you're going to your favorite place or you're going on a vacation that you love and all of a sudden you're, you're disassociated. Well, how frustrating that you can't relate to an event or a place or a person in a way that you used to do that. And that's because if the emotions are flat, we feel disconnected from life. You know, uh, uh, but also uh, 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 when a person is uh, a parent, when they're they're emotionally uh, in an emotionally loaded event or situation is is, uh, casual, and they are going about the situation in a dispassionate way, um, that may be relaxing to them. And that may be something that they're wanting to have. And so they actually look at it as a positive attribute that I can stay calm during uh, circumstances that are uncertain by going into disassociation. Well, that's not a healthy way to deal with it. And it's, it's not a good way. It's not a congruent way. You know, but, you know, you don't want to encourage a diagnosis. You don't want to encourage something that's unhealthy for your brain to do. And then it will just exacerbate that. So if you go into disassociation to deal with places that you don't like, if you go into depersonalization uh, to to just get away uh, uh, from yourself because you don't like who you are. And believe me, there's a lot of people that don't like who they are. You know, that's not going to be a healthy thing to do. And so don't exacerbate your brain to use these kind of diagnoses or these kind of coping skills because then you will find you're losing memory, you're losing attachment, you're losing uh, relationships, and you're losing a whole lot of life. Life is meant to be lived. Let's not be afraid of it. You know, isolation of effect, it's very common. But look at our life today during COVID. We're isolated. You know, we have trouble catching conversations, you know, uh, uh, you know, it's it's amazing that we cannot really connect with each other in this day and age because of this COVID. And we've been very bad at it before because we've fallen to the Internet and, and social media and all that stuff. But it's it's not helpful. It's not helpful in this day and age that it kind of leads us into disassociation. I know the other day. These poor guys, they're living in their car. They've been there probably for a month, living in a car by a park, and they just sit there 24 hours, all day, every day, handicapped, and, and it's just amazing to me that how they do that. But I imagine what they do do is what all of us do that we're, you know, if you're sitting in your home staring at your television or listening to the radio or whatever you're doing or listening to the same news over and over about who's going to get elected or who's destroying everybody's life now or the COVID virus. You know, if you're sitting around, a lot of people are disassociating. And I got to tell you, you need to take charge of that. You need to get yourself out of that state of mind and know that it's not who you are and it's not where it's not where you want to be in a health uh, situation. You know, there's usually uh, precipitating intense traumatic events leading to this disruption that trains the brain to go that way. And, and so, you know, this amnesia that I was talking about earlier, the person basically suffers a loss of memory uh, uh, for a period surrounding the event. That condition ha- has, has long been recognized 
even in the first century, uh, uh, you know, that this is the way our brains will work if we are in a situation that we don't know what to do. And so we just poof, disappear. You know, in, in a, 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 there's this thing called a, a possession trance. The person reacts to the traumatic event by entering a dissociative state in which their identity is replaced by that of another person, of an animal, or an animate object, or more commonly by a ghost or a spirit or a deity. And in many cultures, certain forms of trance are recognized, even accepted, even exalted as expressions of religious fervor, uh, manifestations of the divine, possession trance, therefore, should only be considered problematic or potentially problematic if it is not sanctioned by the culture or the subculture. There's also this thing called a dissociative stupor, where the person reacts to a traumatic event by becoming immobile and mute and failing to respond to the stimuli, such as a human voice, bright lights, extremes of hot or cold. And that disassociative stupor is a reaction to a traumatic event oftentimes, but it's also uh, uh, one form of stupor is important for the medical team to rule out other causes, such as depression or schizophrenia or uh, some organic brain disease. And so, you know, looking at this, it's a pretty complicated matter. You know, the celebrated mystery writer, Agatha Christie, actually disappeared from her home in Birkenshire, England on the evening of December 3rd, 1926. Her mother, to whom she'd been very close, had died some months earlier, and her husband, uh, Colonel Archibald Christie, was having an affair with another lady. And Archie made little effort to disguise the affair, and one day that Agatha disappeared, he had gone home uh, to the home of some of his friends to reunite with this woman. And before vanishing, Agatha had written several confused notes to Archie, to Archibald and others, where she wrote that she was simply going on a holiday to Yorkshire, but in, in another, she feared for her life. And so the following morning, her abandoned car with headlights on and, and the top up was discovered in Surrey, not far from the place where he was. And, um, and that's a place also where she drowned one of her fictional characters. So this disassociative state can really cause a lot of havoc in your life. You know, the, the police did find her. Uh, uh, in fact, she checked into a health spa and then took care of herself. But, you know, she admitted that she had this episode and did not have much memories of it. So our brain will fall into these patterns and we've got to realize that can be a very dangerous thing if you're encouraging that for your brain. All right, that's our show. You know, I'd like to thank everybody for listening. I'd love to hear from you. And you can do that on our webpage at voiceamerica.com, the Empowerment Channel, Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Now remember, how do you respond when you know zombies eat brains and one rocks right past you? Also remember, in 2020, we have moved right from zombie apocalypse to zombie activists. Also, Diaper, spelled backwards, is repaid. Think about it. Thanks for listening. That's our show for this week. 
Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. We'll be right back. 